Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. And as it is Pentecost Sunday today, I just want to read from the book of Acts. Chapter 1, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, this is Jesus, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then over to chapter 2, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Lord, this morning we just lean into your word. We thank you for your presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We're so grateful for God in us. We're so grateful, God, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and quickens our body. We're so grateful, God, for the empowerment of Holy Spirit to go and do and be witnesses to you. We're so grateful for your presence in our lives. And even today as we go into the Word, we press into what it is you have to say to us today, Lord. We celebrate you. We celebrate this gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that Jesus said it's better for you that I leave, that the Holy Spirit could come. We thank you that because of that, we get to experience you personally, God in us, God with us. We get to experience the fullness of your presence. And Lord, today we just lean into you. We put a draw on you. We engage with you and we thank you for teaching us according to your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you, Rex. You know, I was at a, I, I followed the uh, BCC conference down to Calgary this week and we did the, you know, the five by seven thing as well there. So seven minutes. And one of the guys that got up and did his seven minutes, he had a piano player behind him while he did his seven minutes. I'm like, you know, I feel like some, someday we're going to break this out and we're going to be like, we need that organ, like, you know, just hit the, hit the stuff, whatever, but not today. We'll just, we'll prep for it. Someday it's going to happen. So glad you're here today, though, and I'm, I'm delighted um, with what God has been doing in the house. I'm so, I, I really love that the front seats are filling up. You know, in some churches, really, people just all sit in the back and hope nothing's going to hit them. Everybody here is like, I want to be close enough that everything hits me. So, woohoo! This is good. Love this church. Love you guys. Love the move of the spirit that's happening. Um, how many of you experienced a miracle in the last week or 10 days? Yeah, right? I mean, I, I'm not even, we don't have room to like open up too much testimony, but I think we're going to take time for it tonight at Pursuit. So if you want to come and share what God's been doing, I know that there's been healings in the house. There's been salvations. There's been some radical stuff happening and it just keeps going. So I think it's, it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people are like, you know, if you want to go to a church on Pentecost Sunday, that's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, you're going to want to hit a Pentecostal church or Victory Church. Honestly, we're not going to park on it too hard today because we, we welcome the move of the Holy Spirit all 52 weeks of the year. This is, it's not like one, one day out of the year, God, we're giving you attention. No, Holy Spirit is welcome to move anytime he wants. 
And uh, what I want to pick up on today is the our part in this. And so this is going to be a little bit fun or challenging or frustrating, whatever, uh, depending on how you want to respond to it. So it's your choice, my choice too. Um, but I love how this passage, you know, we, we tend to in this passage in Acts, we tend to listen to it and we're like, we lean into that moment. Everybody's in the upper room and the, the mighty rushing wind came and there was like fire. I mean, it's the best description. We don't know if it was actual fire, but like tongues of fire and all of this happened and the room was shaken and people spoke in other tongues and whatever. And sometimes I think that we all um, run the risk of slipping into that same expectation. Like we're all going to come here and we're all going to be in agreement and we're going to wait for God to do something. But that would be about as dumb as waiting for Jesus to be born every Christmas. I'll let you catch up on that one. Honestly, the Holy Spirit came and he didn't leave. He didn't leave. It was not this, it wasn't like he came and he made a pop-up appearance and went, okay, just so you know, I'm available. And then he disappeared. He came and he dwells amongst us. And anybody who wants him has him. Anybody who wants to engage the spirit has access to him anytime. The things of the spirit are available to every one of us 365 days a year. We have a move of the spirit at our fingertips if we want it. And one of the things that I think is so interesting in Acts, what we see is Jesus saying, I want you to stay and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will become, you'll receive power and you will become witnesses to me. He didn't say that was the end event. You wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come and it'll be so fun. You'll just have like the greatest time. It's going to be the best upper room meeting you've ever had. It's just going to be so enjoyable. No, he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and then you're going to go and do and experience and I'm going to move with you and there's going to be this mighty move that goes with you. You're not waiting on a move of God. You are a move of God. You become a move of God. You carry a move of God. And so this is the stuff that I feel like God's calling us into and we've experienced it in increasing measures as we've been going along these last couple of weeks. Last week, it was so funny because we, you know, we go through sort of seasons of hunger, sort of seasons of what, what God is doing in our lives. Last week, I'm, I, I don't know when was the last time I saw so many people just experience the presence of God and just fall over. Like so long that we actually didn't have ushers in place. And our, our uh, national leaders are like, do we have ushers to help people? And I'm like, not really. I'm just looking for somebody who looks stronger than the person following right now. I'm like, you're recruited. Get in here. Get in here and help. People are just like moved by the presence of God, the spirit of God. But you know what God moves and responds to? Hunger pursuit. And so are we waiting on a move of God? Yes. Is he waiting for us? Yes. It's a combo. He responds to hunger, but he wants to move. And so we stir ourselves up in our most holy faith and we pursue him. What I want to talk today about is the divine partnership. The divine partnership. It is not a, we are just waiting for God to do something for us. God is waiting for us to partner with him because he wants to do something. Are you with me? So this is going to be a we're going we're gonna to join in today. We're going to partner with what it is God wants to do. Again, Acts 2, 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me 
or proof that I exist, a walking testimony of who I am and what I've done, you're going to receive this and you're going to become witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And though some people think Grand Prairie might be the ends of the earth, it's not. We're, this is our Jerusalem. This is our assignment. This is our local place. But what we have here is meant to go out. And it's meant to spread. And I just think it's really incredible, um, you know, that we got to do the first, um, the first of the conferences. I think that's significant for us. I think it's an indicator of who we are called to be. We are a breakthrough kind of church. We have a breaker anointing. We carry the presence and the fire of God. We're meant to do something. We don't just sit here and go, well, isn't this so fun? I really love coming to this church. It's just so fun to be here. It should be fun to be here, but... It should be empowering to be here. We are called to go and do. And I think what's very interesting is if we go back into this passage, we see that there was the 150 in the upper room. There was more before and people, or 120. People uh, drifted over the course of the waiting. We, we focus on the fact that the 12 apostles go out and they begin. This is their lifetime gig. This is their full-time job. What we don't really pay attention is to, to is the other, you know, ones that were impacted by the Holy Spirit at that time. What I want us to see in that is the same thing as here. It doesn't mean that everybody's called to full-time work at a church, but we are all called to receive and operate in the Holy Spirit wherever he sends us. That The world was turned upside down and changed, not by 12 men, but by every single person picking up their assignment and walking in it. Every single person going, wow, the power of God in my life has changed everything, and I'm going with him. I'm walking with him. So we want to, to ask ourselves these sorts of questions. Am I wanting to experience God? Most of us in this house, I would say, are. But it's worth the question. Do I actually want to experience God? Not just know him, not just have fire insurance for when I die, you know, whatever the perspective. Do I want to know and experience God? Do I crave a move of his spirit? Do I actually want it? When you hear the testimonies tonight of people that have experienced miracles in this week, the answer will be yes. Yes, we do want to experience a move of his spirit. We do want to experience signs, wonders, and miracles. So then we have to ask, where is our hunger level really? Truly, where is our hunger level? Because where you see God moving is where you see hunger. And it's this constant cycle. The more we experience God, the hungrier we get. And then the more we experience God and the hungrier we get. And the more we experience God. And it's just this constant thing. It's like we sang this morning. We go from glory to glory to glory. You never hit the end of the desire. You never hit the end. You're never like, oh, that's totally enough of God for me. It's about all I can take. That's, I'm just had enough. No, the more you have him, the more you taste him, the more you experience him, the more you want him. And so when you experience people who are a little bit jacked up for God, they're a little bit like, you know, I mean, we're pretty hyper in here most of the time. Why? Because we've experienced him. And the more we experience him, the more we want him. And the more we experience him and the more we want him. So we want to lean into this today. We need to understand and ask ourselves, am I bogged down by the issues of life? Am I feeling weighed down, heavy? Am I feeling distracted? Am I feeling frustrated? Am I actually pursuing 
a move of God? Do I believe we need a move of God? And that's an honest question. You know, the more things fall apart in our world around us, and I don't even, I'm not going to highlight it, but literally the only answer at this point is a move of God. The answer to literally every question, every situation, every judgment, every ruling, the answer to everything is a move of God. So do we actually want one? Do we as people, as citizens, as part of this land, knowing that we've been born here now for his purposes, do we really crave a move of God? Legit. Because if we do, we will have things to do. It will not be a passive, oh man, we really want a move of God and we're just going to sit here and hope it happens. The people in the upper room actually had to step out of their regular lives and sit there in the upper room. And it says that they were all in one accord. That did not mean they all agreed. They actually chose to give up their own stuff to be able to pursue the single thing in front of them. They just wanted what God had for them. So they decided to step away from their normal life, follow the instructions of Jesus and want him most. Are we ready for that? Are we ready to want him most? I believe that a lot of us are experiencing, you know, we've got a thing on the inside of us, a craving, a hunger, a promise from God, an expectation, and it's in there, but we also have a yes that we're kind of hanging on giving. There's a thing that God's requiring. There's a, an ask that he's making. There's an invitation that he's putting out there. And I believe if we're going to experience the miracle, signs, wonders, move of God, that the hunger is there for, we are going to have to get ready with our yeses. We're going to have to prepare to change. You know, we just had the BCC conference here last weekend. And um, going back to the beginning of Victory Churches, you know, we are a distinct organization, a, a distinct movement. Um, in the sense that we kind of always move. The 10 tenets make us who we are in how we see things, in how we see the word of God, and how we see the promises of God. But essentially, what the, the Victory Church movement is based on is the Great Commission, which is applicable to everybody. It's just simplified. Reach, teach, mobilize is the Great Commission. It's basically that with action steps. And when we look back to the very beginning, like the fact that Pastor George could say this morning that there's, we've got family in the Philippines. I mean, Wayne and I have stayed in their home a couple times. Like we literally have family in the Philippines um, who are connected via, you know, Victory Churches. How did that happen? How do we have churches all around the world? If you go back the 40 plus years to when Victory Churches was started, and again, not a not a new revelation, just people who were actually willing to operate on it. It was Dr. George and Hazel who had an encounter with the Father, had an encounter with Jesus, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, read the book of Acts and went, okay, let's do that. And people in that first group, that first maybe five, ten years of Victory Churches literally said to God, whatever you want, wherever you're sending, whatever you need, we're in. People moved, people sold houses, people changed jobs. We're going to do a church plant. Which 10 families want to go along? We will. People just moved. People, people sowed into, people prayed, people gathered. People gave of what their substance was to reach into the, the promise of God, the call of God, and they gave him their yes. So it wasn't really an unusual thing that there was fruit. The Holy Spirit will move on our hunger. 
He'll move on our yes. That's how this works. And so walking this forward, am I willing? And so we have to ask ourselves then, um, you know, what it is God wants us to do. Mark 16, we've talked about this lately. Mark 16, 19 to 20. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how our seat is right next to him, authority-wise. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Jesus was raised, sat down at the right seat of the right hand of the Father, and the disciples went out and did the work. They actually began to move. Imagine if they had just sat there, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, there's tongues of fire, there's the mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they're speaking in other tongues, and then they're like, this, this is so cool. Wait till I tell the guys at work about this on Monday. It's going to be so great. And I'm just, wow, awesome experience, good exit, Jesus. That was, that was grand finale of all grand finales. That was fantastic. I mean, imagine if they saw it as a finish line. But it says that he went and sat down, they received power, and they went out and began doing the stuff that Jesus commanded them to do. Do you know that means that every single one of us, if we know Christ, we actually have an assignment. We literally, every single one of us, we've got a sphere of influence, we've got places to go, things to do, people to talk to, a Jesus to represent. We've all got these assignments, and a lot of us feel not qualified. We'll look at like the eight people that we see on stages or whatever, and we're like, I'm not like that. I couldn't do that. Thank God. I mean, honestly, you don't want me fixing your plumbing. You don't want me fixing your drywall. You don't want me fixing your car. You want me probably preaching. But I want you doing that. God wants you to. You're in a place where God has put you for his purposes, and you still have as much of an assignment as I do. You still have as much of a call to move in the things of God as I do. You have a gift from the Lord to be a witness of Jesus, to Jesus, to the world around you. So we will say, like, I just, I don't feel like I'm that gifted. I don't think I'm that person. Well, just to let you off the hook, 1 Corinthians 1, maybe you're familiar of it, with it. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh... Not many mighty and not many noble are called. <laughs> if you can't identify yourself yet, verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. If you think you've got nothing to offer, you're exactly who he's looking for. Welcome to the club. Woohoo! This is how God works. God, I mean, when we look at the, the, the disciples that Jesus picked, the early apostles, what, the ones that Jesus picked really weren't qualified. The only one that was super qualified was Paul, and then God sent him to the Gentiles so he wouldn't be qualified. On purpose. Like, flipped him so that he couldn't trust in his own education, his own understanding, his own training. God wants us to be, be dependent on him. He wants us to not feel like we've got it all together. About the time we feel like I'm so great at this, God will move us. About the time you feel like you've got what it takes, God will make sure you know you don't. He is the source. He is the supply. He is the whole deal. He is working with us 
performing signs, wonders, and miracles. He's working with us. You're like, I don't know how I would talk to that person sitting next to me, you know, at work. I don't know. I mean, I know their marriage is falling apart. I know they're struggling with this. I don't even know what I would say. Great. He does. He totally has an answer for them. He totally has wisdom. He totally has something to speak into that situation. You might feel like, you know, you find out somebody's child is super sick and you don't, you know, you don't feel like you have any special healing, anointing or whatever. You can minister the love of God into that situation by just saying yes to being obedient to what it is he wants to pour through you. You don't have to have it figured out. You do have to be obedient. So here's the invitation. He is not looking for people who consider themselves worthy. He's looking for people who know he's worthy. That's the crossover. He's looking for people that know he's worthy. I'm telling you, your ability to share Jesus with the people around you will increase exponentially when you walk through the situations in your mind. You walk through the problems around you and you press it through all the way to see what would be the solution for that. And anytime you press it through and you, well, if these people stepped up and did this, and if this law was made, and if this changed, and if that changed, and this passed, you know, and you walk it all the way through, you will always find out it will be impossible without Jesus. It will be impossible without God. He is always the answer. And the more you know he's the answer, the more bold you are to share him with anybody who will listen. The more you actually, it is so empowering to know you have an answer. One of the most uh, stressful situations in life is when you are around crisis and you feel helpless to solve it. It is literally one of the most stressful things on the inside of you. Your mind, your nervous system begins to panic when you see crisis and you don't know how to solve it. It's when you see a lot of people like it's the fight or flight thing. You, people either get really jacked up or they panic and they freeze. But it's like, I, I don't even know what to do right now. I don't know what to do right now. Jesus is always, 100% of the time, always the answer. He always has a solution. He always has a supply. He will often use men and women to do it, to release it, but it's his wisdom, it's his counsel, it's his guidance that gets us there. So let's just walk through this thing of who is he looking for? If he's not looking for the wise, he's not looking for the noble, he's not looking for the well-connected, who is he looking for and who does he want to work with? And, And this is us. Number one, he's looking for those whose heart is for him. He's looking for those whose heart is for him. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm, I'm a religious person. I, I go to church, you know, once or twice a month or whatever. Like, I believe in God. I sometimes pray the Our Father. He's looking for people whose heart is for him. Like, God, I am after you. Anybody who is married knows that it didn't get there because you're like, hey, You look okay. Yeah, you look okay too. All right, you want to get married? For sure. There's some pursuing involved, right? If anybody is in one of those marriages, you need counseling and come see us for sure. But I mean, there's some pursuing. There's some, I want to get to know you. What do you like? What do you want? How can I serve you? How can I honor you? How can I bless you? I love you. There is some effort that goes into, you know, like I'm saying grabbing, but you know, there's some effort that goes into securing a husband or a wife to seal the deal. You have to put the effort in this, by the way, it's Wes and Beth's 40th anniversary today. 
Yeah. On that note, isn't that amazing? So we honor you guys. They're, they're still uh, pursuing for sure. I won't get them started during church here, but um, there is some effort that goes in. What do we want from God? If we're like, I tried it, we probably won't experience much of him. But if we are after him, we are pursuing him, we are hungry for him, we will likely experience more than we can possibly imagine. Second Chronicles 16, 9, uh, it actually says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. It's in the middle of a passage where God is just like, I really want to, I want to work with you. I want to do something, but I'm looking for somebody whose heart is for me, somebody who's after me. Sometimes if we're just like passive in our pursuit of God, we're like, well, you know, God could do something if he wanted, but clearly he doesn't want to. He's not interested. He's not, he's not doing anything. He is active. This, this is a promise. He is actively looking to show himself strong. He is actively looking to, to move. He's actively looking to manifest his presence. He's actively looking, but he's looking for a place and a person to operate that through. He, he absolutely responds to hunger. He absolutely responds to desire. And I don't have time to get into it today. We've talked about it a bit before here, but every revival in history has started with a group of people who have got on their faces and been desperate for the Lord. I mean, sometimes teenagers, sometimes, you know, older, older women, older single ladies, whatever. It's just whoever is willing to press in, to pursue him, who, whose heart is after him, it creates a space for God to move because he wants to. Daniel eleven twenty three. 23, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. That's the second half of that verse. The people who know their God, know him, get to know him, pursue him. The promise is shall be strong and perform great exploits. Do you hunger and crave God? Because if you do, this is a promise. The enemy of your soul will come and say, who do you think you are? Like, honestly, you're just an average person. You can't be praying for people. You can't be stepping out like that. You need to like, there's a need. You need to like call the pastor to come and do something here. Nope. If you know God, you know him. You pursue him. You have his heart. You're operating in the things of the Holy Spirit. God will work through you. He will work through, this is a promise that is built in, my heart is for him, this is an outcome. Acts 13.22 is the quote from 1 Samuel uh, 13, talking about King David and how God selected him. And it says that, and when he had removed him, this is talking about Saul, he says he raised up for him David as a king, to whom also he gave a testimony. And I said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. I want you to see the two parts there. It starts with a man after my own heart. Not just a man who I like, but a man who is after my heart. A man who is pursuing me. A man who honors me. A man who will do all my will. When we know him, there will be a product. 
There will be an outflow. There has to be an outflow. When we know him, when we find him, when we seek him, when we, we discover him, there will be an outflow. If we have pursued him and there hasn't been an outflow, it is possible that it's hinging on our yes. The product should come from knowing him. There should be an extra boldness. There should be an extra confidence. There should be an extra willingness. It may be hinging on our yes. So he's looking for the one who is after him and who will do his will. He's looking for those who will work with him. The, the word tells us that Jesus, you know, rose, sat down, the disciples went out, and the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord was working with them, performing signs, wonders, and miracles. So who is God looking for? He's looking for the ones who are after his heart. And then the breakdown is, is kind of specific. He's looking for those who will see the cause. He's looking for those who will see the cause. So a sublet, after we are desiring him, we start to see the cause that's on his heart. When you're with somebody and you love them, you begin to want what they want. You begin to care about what concerns them. You begin to be interested in what interests them. And so the is there a cause question is something that the more we see God, the more we know him, the more our eyes are opened to love and see the cause around us. It is so tempting. Our culture is so tempting to live in the us for and no more mindset. My family's doing good. We can pay the bills. We're relatively healthy, sort of happy. We're doing good. I'm just going to worry about me and mine because everybody else is epically screwed up. That's an indicator that maybe something's off because we should be concerned that everybody else is epically screwed up. That's, you know, there's a cause. There's something around us. When we look at the world around, when we look at the confusion, we look at, you know, people who don't know which end is up about anything. We can't just separate ourselves and go, well, I'm glad I'm good. We see that and we realize there is a cause. There's something that we have to be after. First Samuel 17 is when uh, King David came to the battle and all of Israel was listening to Goliath slander them. Day after day after day, slander God day after day after day. And he gets up there and he's like, well, are we going to put up with this? Like, you know, shouldn't somebody do this? Shouldn't somebody answer him? Like, what's going to happen for the one who's going to fight? Because obviously somebody's going to go fight. And they, they're like, just sit down and be quiet. Like, you're being, you're being arrogant. You're being proud. And he's like, is there not a cause is there not a reason to be upset? Is there not something to be stirred up about? Is there not something to fight for? Is there not something that des deserves my heart and my passion and the focus of my life? Is there not a cause? When Jesus uh, came, Luke 19.10, he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Is there not a cause? Are there still those that are lost all around us, everywhere around us. Is there not a cause? Should we not desire to be so full of the Holy Spirit that it's leaking everywhere around us, that the passion for God, the love of Jesus is just oozing out of us wherever we go? Should we not desire to do whatever it takes to operate at that level because there's a cause? 
Is it enough to say mine and my, you know, my four, we're good? Is that enough? Like, it's not. What am I willing to do about that? Where am I willing to, to pour the treasure of my life? Where am I willing to, to sacrifice and lean in for the purposes of God to be released? I believe if the, the early church, if Acts hadn't happened, if Acts 2 hadn't happened, if the first group hadn't been willing to lay aside their lives, be obedient to Jesus and wait, everything could have been completely different. The Holy Spirit came because there was a place to land, because there were those that were pursuing. God wants to move with those who are pursuing, those who are after his heart. He's also looking for messengers. So he's looking for those that see the cause. He's looking for messengers. Isaiah 6, 8 to 9. And this is Isaiah's having this experience, a heavenly encounter. And he says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And he said, here I am, send me. And then the follow-up verses, and he said, go and tell the people. And then it goes on. How did God get the word through? He looked for somebody who was willing to be a messenger, somebody who was willing to give his life. And if you follow Isaiah's life, that was a rough calling. We're very glad that that level of prophetic stuff doesn't often happen anymore. But um, it, it was hard to be an Old Testament prophet, for sure. Most of them did not have like a super awesome experience in their day-to-day their -day life. But he hears the voice of God, and he has this encounter, and God is saying, I want to minister to the people who will go. Who will go for me? And I remember... You know, I was 16 years old, and I remember being at a youth conference and standing at the altar and just sobbing my face off. And we were singing, does anybody remember the song, like, Ask of Me, Send Me to the Nations as an ambassador? I, I won't sing it because I might start crying again still. I remember standing there weeping, weeping, and literally making this commitment to God, here I am, send me. And, and it I mean... No explanation for it, no clear direction of where am I going to go, what am I going to do, but I, I had this strong understanding that even, you know, when the word talks about ask me for the nations as an inheritance, that there's this inheritance that's available for those who are willing. And so, I mean, it did lead to lots of missions trips and lots of stuff, and there'll probably be lots more, but one of the things along the way that shifted for me is I felt like, because people know I'm like super patriotic, even though our country needs Jesus. But I love this nation. I didn't always, I always had a, I always had a, like a very emotional response whenever we sang the national anthem, which was super weird. But other than that, not a real, you know, passion for the nation until I felt God say, ask me for this nation ask me for this nation. And as soon as I began to ask God for this nation, now this is not me personally, I'm asking this nation for God. I'm asking this nation for his purposes and his plans. And suddenly something changed on the inside of me. And I'm just like, even though I do feel the nation is upside down and things are really broken right now, I get really offended when I see an upside down flag. I understand it's a political statement, but I'm like, you know what? We stand on guard for thee. There's a, 
there's a, an ask that's in there. Like, what is it that God is connecting your heart to? What is he pulling you towards? Because he has messages that he wants to put out, but we have to see it. And so this, this situation with Isaiah, he stands there and God's like, I have plans, but I'm looking for somebody who's willing to go as a messenger. So, do you understand what that means? It means that we go out and we don't say the stuff that we want to say. We say the stuff that he wants to say. It means that we go to the place. A messenger gets sent to the places that he sends with the things that he wants to say. It means that I give up my right to totally dictate and plan my own life. And I live in a place of surrender as a messenger to go where he sends, to say what he's saying, to do what he's asking. I lay down my rights. One of the most moving things that I've, I've seen in a long time, and it, I know it happens every year, but I stumbled upon it in the middle of um, the first year of COVID when the send was happening. And uh, does anybody know what the send is? It's like this massive missions organization and they gather once a year. And literally the concept is we're gonna gather, we're gonna commit our lives to God and then we're gonna see where he wants to send us. And literally, there'll be a moment in, in the service, uh, it's, it's quite spontaneous at this point, but where they're just committing their lives to the Lord. And I'm talking tens of thousands of young people. And they take their shoes off and they hold them in the air and they start declaring like, I'll go wherever you're sending me. I'll go wherever you're sending me. And they have places, uh, a list of places that are needing missionaries, a place, like, list of places that are needing um, people to come in and serve. And they'll just wait on God. They come to that weekend with the intention of, I will leave from this place with an assignment. And it's like, okay, there's 44 people going to Brazil. There's 22 people going to, you know, Colombia, whatever. And people are just responding in the moment. They don't have time to go home and say, is this part of my game plan? Does this fit into my 10-year plan, my five-year plan? It's just they're giving God their yes in the moment and trusting him to work out the details. This messenger thing, God said, who will go for me? Isaiah didn't go, go where and how long of a commitment will this be? What do you think the budget is for that? Do I get to have a wife, not have a wife? What's, you know, the housing situation there? Do I need, you know, any kind of medications? Like, what? he didn't ask anything. He's just like, who will, who will go for me? Isaiah's like, I'm me. You got a job, I want it. You got, you got something you want to say, I want to say it. You want somewhere to be released, I will, I will release it. Where's our yes at? Are we prepared to be messengers? Are we prepared to be intercessors? That's the third thing that he's looking for. Not in any particular order. Somebody who's willing to stand in the gap. Some of us right now, you might be sitting here and you're like, oh, please do not send me to Colombia. I'm not answering any altar calls today because I do not want to get sent to Bosnia. I don't, you know, some pe if you're that person, you're like on the inside, you're like, no, no. There is, there are, it's a body. There are some people that are sitting here today that are like, please, God, send me somewhere. I'm tired of being in Grand Prairie. Send me anywhere. Send me somewhere. I want to go. And there's other people that are like, I don't want to go at all, but I want to say yes to you. Well, how about the intercessors? How about this stuff? And that's not just like a few people with some special giftings. We are all called to stand in the gap to intercede. And again, Ezekiel, another one of the prophets, Ezekiel 22:30, 30, and God's like, he's basically saying, 
man, there is trouble all around. I really want to help. But because I've given you free will, and we come back to this all the time, why doesn't God just fix Canada? Because he gave us free will. He expects us to ask. He expects us to surrender. He says, if we who are called by his name will humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, seek his face, he will heal our land. It's a done deal, but he's waiting on us. So same case, it's happening here in Ezekiel. And he says, I sought for a man who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. God was like, you know what? There is... There is consequences to sin. There's consequences to idolatry. There are things that happen in a land that I don't want to do. It's not, it's, it's just the judgment of the choices. I am looking for anybody to give me a reason not to do this. I am looking for anybody to give me a reason to intervene. The concept, you know, we've heard judges say this and, and uh, lawyers and different things, you know, in court cases where they're like, you know, this is the law. Somebody give me a reason to show mercy. Some just give me, just give me something to go off of here. You know, this concept is heartbreaking to me. Because when we look at like what has happened in our nation, when we look at how things have fallen down and the things that have fallen apart and the unrighteousness that has been exalted, I think God is asking, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking, is there anybody who is willing to set themselves up on the wall and intercede, stand in the gap? Some people will never leave this province maybe. But you can do war on the spiritual wall and you can see life transformed for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. There is a measurable difference that happens when the intercessors rise. There is a measurable difference that happens when the prayer level is high enough, when a critical mass just decides to seek God, to pray, to seek him, to pursue him. We're waiting for a move of the Holy Spirit. God's saying, move me then. Put a draw, ask of me and I will give the nations, ask of me, who will go, whom can I send, is there not a cause, will somebody stand on the wall, these are not, we're waiting on God to do something, it is God saying, are you willing to do something, I believe, I'm just going to say it again, you've heard it a lot, but I think we need to keep declaring it into the atmosphere, I believe that Canada absolutely is about to experience a great revival, a great move of God. I believe we have not seen the end of who she is or what she's supposed to be. I believe God's plans and purposes for this nation are, bet to, are yet to be released. I believe that that move will be burst out of Alberta and I believe it will be triggered from the north. So I'm saying this morning, prophetically, we have to get in the game. We have to decide to engage. We have to decide to stand. We have to decide to fight. We have to be fire carriers to see the fire move. I believe we have an assignment in this hour, and God is kind of asking this. Who will stand? Me. This, this house will be 
a house of prayer for all nations. This house will be a carrier of his presence. This house will be a carrier of fire. We will be an ignition center. We will be one that sends and spreads and goes. We will not be dormant. We will not be the hiding frozen chosen waiting for a rescue from heaven. We will be on the move. That's who we are. And if you're visiting today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. This is who we are. So number two then, who God is looking for. The first ones are all the ones who are after his heart. Those with a ready yes. Those with a ready yes. And I want to just look at one passage to show us what happens when we don't. It's the story of the rich young ruler, and it's, it's actually a heartbreaking story because we know that Jesus, I mean, it's fascinating when you study it as business owners for Wayne and I, the idea that Jesus would come along and go, leave your boats and come follow me, you know, and the fishermen, you know, the guys who are working for their dad, like this is their day job. And they just went, oh, okay, yes, Lord. And they just like left stuff behind them, right? We're so practical sometimes in how we, like, oh God, in order for me to say yes to you, everything's just going to have to fall into place. Like, I'm going to put a fleece out, and that fleece is everything just falls together like dominoes. That's the fleece. There is nothing in the Bible that says that, by the way. That is absolutely a pacifist kind of weird mentality that I just, I don't want any trouble and any resistance or no, no struggles in any way. Then I'll know that God has opened the door and the door that God opens, no man can close. Well, you got to turn the knob. You actually have to, you actually have to try the door, you know, and see if he opened it for you. We, we, we have to get out of the mindset that I'm going to see if everything feels really good to me. We follow peace, and sometimes peace sits well in your heart and off in your head. You tell your head to shut up. At that point, you follow, you follow the spirit on the inside, and you say, no, I have peace about this. And when people ask you, well, how's that going to happen? You go, I don't know. I'm trusting God, but I'm going to take the next step and see what he does with it. I'm giving him my ready yes. So the rich young ruler is somebody who flipped it. He was called similarly to the disciples, but his response was different. So starting at verse 17 of Mark 10, it says, Now he was going out on the road, and one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I might have eternal life? Now what I want you to catch here is the rich young ruler came after Jesus. In other words, he had point one. He was after God. He was after, he was after the things of God. He was pursuing, but he struggled with number two. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good, but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things I have kept uh, from my youth. All these things I've kept from my youth. In other words, I have lived a God-centered life my whole adult life. I'm doing the right stuff. I'm a good guy doing good stuff. I'm honoring you. I just want to know, like, what happens ahead. I just want, I want you. I want heaven. I want the eternal picture. I am living since I was a teenager. Now, who can say that? Since I was a teenager, I've done everything right. Since he was a teenager, I've kept all these things from my youth. And verse 20, and he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him. 
In other words, Jesus was like, okay, good. I love that you love me and you want to know what's on my heart, what, what, what's, what's behind this. He says to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up your cross and follow me. Now, Jesus didn't tell everybody else to sell all their stuff. He just told this guy to sell all his stuff. Why? It was a heart thing for him. He literally obviously had a trust in money. There was something connected to him that he got a specific assignment from Jesus that nobody else got. And he was like, and come and follow me. Everything up to now is so golden. This guy's like, Jesus, I want you. What do I have to do? Jesus is like, keep the commandments. I do all that already. Awesome. Jesus loves him, calls him. Most of us are okay up until this point. Most of us are okay with, yep, yeah, I'm not killing anybody, haven't stole from anybody this week, doing pretty good with the, you know, keeping the commandments. I love the Lord. I honor him. I show up in church. And then he says, sell all the stuff, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. In other words, it's not gone. You know, Pastor George just talked about how your money talks. You'll have treasure in heaven. Take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Bummer. Now let me just put this out here as North American Christians. Even though we think that we got budget problems and a lot of you know things, it, it can be difficult. We are literally in the richest 1% of the earth, right? We are wealthy, we've been blessed with much, we have comforts that other people don't have. I mean, I've been in houses in Haiti and the Philippines and different countries where people are sleeping on mats, on dirt floors, you know, with nothing. Couple pots in the corner, like we have much. This is a warning to us that if we want to experience the fullness of the call, our riches are probably one of the greatest baits to stop us. The comforts that we have, the things that we have grown accustomed to, the things that we can control and measure, it's probably one of the greatest areas of bait to caution our yes. Because what, what would we do? I mean, what if, how would we pay for that? How could we, I mean, how could we possibly? What, you know, what if, if I leave my job, if I do this, if I say yes to God in this, what's that going to mean? I mean, I've got kids, I've got grandkids, I've got, you know, retirement to plan for, I've got a, how, you know, what, 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 what? God never gives us all the details. I have yet to meet somebody who is active in ministry, who has got a 10-year plan from the Lord with a full budget accompaniment, you know, a spreadsheet of action plans. Like, nobody gets that. We get a call. We get a, would you, are you willing, come, go, do, and he's just looking for a yes, and the grace shows up on the other side of the yes. Truly. The grace shows up on the other side of the yes. Wayne and I, I think I've shared this story before, but years ago now, 20 years ago probably, maybe more, I don't know. We were sitting in our, our living room and Wayne was changing his guitar strings, which is always good for a good concert because there's nothing like fresh guitar strings for the perfect flow. So new guitar strings, and then he just started playing and we just started worshiping 
just like, we're just worshiping in our living room, regular morning, maybe probably a Saturday or something was likely before church. And um, he just started playing and I just started singing and we're just worshiping. And all of a sudden the presence of God just filled our living room. And I mean, the, the girls were downstairs, they're watching TV and whatever. And it wasn't like this perfect church moment. It was just a normal day that we just began worshiping and the presence of God filled this place, our house and uh, filled the space that we were in. And to the degree that we actually just felt like we needed to step away from our kids and whatever and just respond to God. So we went up to our bedroom and um, we just, we literally felt this question that God was like, are you willing to give me your yes? And we're like, yes to what? And there was no answer, no answer. And that day, I, I mean, it's, it was a significant point in our lives. We got on our knees in our bedroom and we just started weeping before the Lord and we're like, yes. Whatever it is, whenever it is, however it is, yes. And there have been so many moments in the past years where a hard thing comes up or a weird opportunity comes up or something that we hadn't think of. It's, it's a suddenly, and we'll just like, Lord, is this even from you? And the answer that we hear in our heart is you already said yes. And it's not even up for debate. And it, it has just, it has been like that for us for years now. The witness just comes. It's not a, it's not a mental choice at all. It is a very quick yes. Even uh, when, when Pastor Paul and I met to talk about me stepping in uh, um, after him in the church here. It was a lunchtime. And I mean, there'd been a lot of preparation, but we'd never really discussed much. Over a lunchtime, the question came, the yes came, and in 24 hours, it was done. Just a yes. Because we'd already given God our yes. I'm saying this, this man, if he'd have known, you know, can you imagine... The other disciples who got to experience raising people from the dead and seeing leprosy healed and prison breaks and like crazy awesome stuff. If he'd have known what it would have been like to walk in the fullness, his money wouldn't have meant anything to him. But he went away sorrowful because he had much and he couldn't see it. God may be asking for your yes in some area that you don't have the details for. My encouragement to you is to give it. Elisha is the second one, and we're going to finish with this today. 1 Kings 19. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago where Elijah was having this encounter with God. It was after the Jezebel thing and the, the prophets of Baal and the fire on the altar and all of that. And he went away depressed and he was having a bad day and God met him and then said, after he ministered to him, he said, now you're going to go and anoint Elisha as the next prophet. You're going to anoint your successor. And so it was God's choice. God had picked. God had said, this is who I have decided is going to be the next prophet in this nation. And um, evidently, he had already ministered some of that to Elisha because we see the response here. But there hadn't been any clear instruction other than God told Elijah, here's your successor. And he's going to like, here's the list of how the kings are going to operate. Here's how Elisha's going to operate. You're going to go and anoint him. So 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 19 then. So he departed from there, Elijah, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with his 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I'll follow you. 
And he said to him, go back for what have I done to you? In other words, Elisha's like, oh, this is the moment. I felt something coming up on the inside. I knew something was happening and the mantle falls on him. And this was symbolic of you are the one I'm calling. This is the one, you're the one that God's picked. And he's like, can I just go back and say goodbye to my parents? Like, I just need to close up some stuff. And Elijah's like, I haven't said anything. I haven't done anything. In other words, it's still your choice. I'm not forcing you to do this. God's not forcing you to do this. It's your choice. Every yes is our choice. Free will. We have to understand that God gives us the option of a yes. And instead of him going, well, then fine, if you're not actually calling me, and I, I'm going to go back and hang out with my folks then because we have 12 oxen. Obviously, we got some money. You know, we got some people that we're responsible for. He says, I haven't, I haven't said anything. Go back for what have I done to you? Verse 21. So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment. In other words... Burn it down. Talk about burn the bridge behind you. <laughs> Burnt the oxen's equipment, cooked the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Literally, he was like, this is the moment I am fully in. I am making sure I'll never go back again. This is my yes. This is my choice. This is, this is who I've been made to be. Do you know, we, we know according to the word that like Jeremiah was ordained from the womb. Paul talks about being ordained from the womb. There is stuff, there is good works that you were created for before the foundations of the earth. There is stuff in God that you were made for. There was, you know, that sense of purpose that you crave and every human does. That place of significance that you crave, that place of like, I, I need my life to matter, that you crave, that is built in from God because you are created on purpose for a purpose. Isn't that amazing? Most of us will never realize that purpose because we hesitate on the yes. And sometimes the yes is something big. Obviously, Elisha, his whole world changed in that moment. He, he, his whole like, career path, life path totally changed. For some, and I just want to caution us with this one, for some, the yes is as simple as like changing a habit, getting an addiction, surrender to the Lord, dealing with a relationship, choosing forgiveness, dealing with the heart stuff that God wants to deal with, sowing a seed into something, changing a job. Often, it is not the big like, oh my goodness, my whole world's gonna change this month. Often the yes is something so simple that you think it doesn't matter, but it does. It's the key to the next yes and the next yes and the next yes. The, the breakout of what God wants to do in our lives. What, what happens for us as a church? Are we experiencing a move of God? Yes. Are we satisfied? No. We want more of him. We want more of his spirit. I feel like if on any given Sunday, we've got, you know, three, four, five hundred people in here that are, you know, challenged. The, the goal is not to get you in this building. The goal is to send you out from this building. The goal is to get us encouraged, built up, strengthened, and go out. And I'm looking, you know, around this room, there are people that are in restaurants, you're in businesses, you're in real estate, you're in the oil patch, you're in the school system, you're in politics. This room carrying a yes for God, 
uh, an understanding that there is a cause that we're after, a, a willingness to be a messenger of what he wants to say, a, a pursuit of, of going into those places after his heart and interceding and saying, yeah, I'm willing to stand on the wall in this business, in this corner of the marketplace, in this corner of society, over this soccer field, over this baseball field. I'm willing to stand in the gap over this team and intercede for every parent, every broken marriage that I see represented here, every broken little kid who needs to hear and feel the love of God. I'm willing to stand here on the wall and I'm going to take my place and I'm going to stand here and intercede seed. I am willing to take my place. I'm going into the, the music concerts and I'm going to be speaking life over every one of those people on the stage. I go into those graduations and I speak over those young people's destiny and I intercede for them that the seed of, of Adam would not destroy them, but they would experience the fullness of the love of God. They wouldn't lose their identity. They would be who they've been created to be. They wouldn't be lost in the system, but they would be passionate about God. I am willing to to stand in the gap and pursue. I am not going to sit and criticize every government official. I'm going to say, God, they need you. Nothing will change them faster than an encounter with the living God. I'm asking for a miracle of, of dreams and visions, encounters with you, that you would change parliament, that you would change the legislature, that you would change our city government. God, that you would put the right people in places of power in the school system. And if it's not the right people right now, that they would encounter you and become the right people. I am willing. I am willing. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give, just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.